Howdy, folks. Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Um, well, it's, thank goodness in a sense that uh, I don't have to wait till Sunday to watch a, another Buffalo Bills game because they played last night. Um, Win's a win, Mike. No, no, no. I no. I was just gonna say their their schedule because they're you know because they're perceived as being such a good team is so whack. Yeah. They they play one only. Let's see. They're five and three now. They play nine more games. You know how many games they play at one o'clock on Sunday? Three. One. One. Wow. More. That's absurd. Like it's almost unfair, no. but since it's the Bills, I don't care. But. <laughs> But it is almost unfair. Yeah. So, by, and by the way, by the way, just to, just like, yes, they showed Niagara Falls yesterday on Amazon Prime. When I was watching some of that game, I didn't notice it. The very first TV time, oh, they, okay. they went to the red, white, and blue lit Niagara Falls, and they can go f themselves because Niagara Falls is nowhere close to Buffalo. Sorry, tradition. All right. So, twenty years ago. Friday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, I think it's going to be, um, is the Heritage Classic, right? The original. The original. And I went there. Mm -hmm. Myself and Shane Malloy, actually, we covered it. And it's the only time I've been to Edmonton. Like, I haven't been back to Edmonton since. It was at Commonwealth Stadium. It was crazy because there's a bunch of things that happened that were wild. Um, first thing that happened that was kind of crazy was I wanted to catch practice. And practice was at this remote rink. Who the hell knows where it was in Edmonton? And Northlands, Northlands Coliseum? No, no, uh, no. It, wait, did they practice at Northlands? No, no. This was a uh, this. You know, it was this was like an outdoor practice? I think. Ah. That's why. But I did walk through Northlands um, because there was a day that there was an event there, and so I did walk through Northlands Coliseum, saw all the pictures and trophies and all that stuff. So that was cool. But on this day, um, I got there and I, you know, there was nothing to do. I was like the only person there. And so I called somebody on a pay phone because it was a pay phone, 2004. And then they, all of a sudden these two buses showed up, you know, and I see Gila Floor gets off a bus and he starts smoking. <laughs> so I thought, all right, I'm in the right place. Yeah. So I practice. It was one of the only times, this is like four years into, you know, me being a, a hockey guy, you know, covering hockey, journalist, broadcaster, all that, right? So so I'm in the locker room, and I'm sort of standing behind um, Al, what's his last name, uh, that used to always talk to Gretzky, Al Strachan. Oh, oh yeah, Al Strachan. Yeah. So, and I'm waiting, Al Strachan's got this whole diatribe going with Gretzky, but I'm like, I never been near Wayne Gretzky, you know, and I finally got to ask him a question after like 10 minutes and just, it was unbelievable. The, the array of talent that was in that Edmonton locker room and Montreal. And well, so that, that, was, that old timers game was unbelievable. Yeah, that was fun. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So yeah. we, um, you know, I did that. They did have a press conference. They had like a joint thing where Gretzky and, and LaFleur were talking at the same time, which was wild. The whole thing was great. I was sitting next to Janet Jones, who probably had Ty in her arms, you know, and he's, you know, who know how old he is now. He's probably, well, he's probably 18, 19, well, he's probably older than that, actually, probably 20, 21. At any rate, so then we get to Commonwealth Stadium. We took the uh, the train, right? And it was jam-packed. Like, it was jammed. We I was wearing a snowsuit because... I knew it was, you know, Commonwealth did not have much of a press box. And I already was warned, hey, you're not going to be in the press box. So it was either like you're going to hang out outside or you're going to be underneath. And so I wore the snowsuit, you know, and I figured, all right, we'll hang out there as long as we could. And we, we watched the first full game outside, but we did go in for breaks, like, you know, for hot chocolate, whatever. And, and that was cool. That first game was really cool. And the thing that really sticks with you is the people from the first game that were in the stands the first game stayed in the stands for the entire second game. Yeah. I admit, at the end of the first period, I went inside for good. Yeah. You know, that was when the ice started to chip. That was when, you know, a little before that, you know, Messier got out there, you know, during the old-timers game and he was scraping the ice. Not chip. All that it, was great. Not chip. It was cracking. 
Yeah, was, but you know, whatever. Yeah. But the thing was, just imagine how hardy these people were that were out there the entire time. I always say snot was freezing on them, on their yeah. beards. Their, their beers were frozen. They were yeah. poking holes in them. Yeah, it was an nuts. incredible thing. Nuts. They were insane. That's, that's, that's why they never done it like that again, because no American would ever be able to, to survive that or want no, to. No, okay, okay. How would want to. How cold it was there, sure. Um, but you know, like for the first one here in Buffalo, for the first winter classic here in Buffalo, remember it was snowing and I don't remember what the temperature was. It was in the twenties, probably twenties. Yeah. 30s. It wasn't like that. Yeah. But it was, and you were at that one too. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I remember that and I remember, you know, the, the old timers game, it was LaFleur on the one side, Gretzky on the other. Remember LaFleur and Gretzky played on the same line at the, on the 81 Canada cup. Right. Uh, with Joe Perot. Um, and then Perot broke his leg and then it was Marcel Dion and then they lost to Russia eight to one. Um, but yeah, I know it was, I I think the thing was, it was so, that one was so special because nobody thought that this would be an every year occurrence. I thought this was a one shot deal. Right. There wasn't much press for it in the sense, look, everybody who was in Canada that was covering hockey was there. So Mm -hmm. the underneath, it was a who's who of everything because they were all underneath. Uh, and they had their original PR guy from when they were in their heyday, when they won all their championships. He was very well known. All of that stuff was amazing. But it, leading up to it, it was always kind of like, hey, it's this kind of fluky game. Uh, I don't know if there were more than like three American journalists there. Like, you know, there was me. Uh, I don't even think Kevin Allen was there. So... You know, you might have had two other diehards from some other cities, but not that much. It was mostly a Canadian thing. And and I just thought it was like the greatest thing in the world and kept writing that there should be more outdoor games. And then it took four years to get another outdoor game. And even the one in Buffalo, they didn't promote very well. No, no. And, and honestly, Jan, the, the with the, the, the Winter Classic in Buffalo, the fact that it snowed, and the fact that it was a visual spectacle is one of the reasons why I think the NHL continued to do it because there was so much after the fact, there was so much hype, you know, it, the game sucked. It was a one, one shootout and Crosby wins it in the shootout. It was boring. It's I, I, I was glad that it wasn't, as, like, it wasn't, but boring. it's supposed to be a spectacle. I mean, that was the whole point of it right, was right. to be a spectacle and that that's right. right, right. That's what it was. I mean, look, it was I've been boring. to, I've been to all four Rangers outdoor games. I went down to Citizens Bank. I went to the two at Yankee Stadium. And I also went to the one at City Field. And each one of them obviously had their own little pluses and minuses to it. But but it's an event. I mean, the whole purpose of it is to be an event. It's right. the fan fest outside. And if you have decent weather, and, and Russ can tell you that City Field was brutal because the wind must have been whipping about 30, 35 miles an hour that mm-hmm. day. And it was brutal. Yankee was Stadium good. was just an, Yankee Stadium was an ice box to kind of walk around. Yankee Stadium um, and was, the game was And the second game was at night, right? Which made it even harder yes. to do stuff because of the start time. Yeah, the second game of Yankee Stadium was worse. And there is a press conference that I'll probably go to next Wednesday for the yep. games at MetLife. MetLife, yeah. yeah. And that'll be interesting. Uh, but, yeah, the Heritage Classic, just finishing with that, it, it all started with that. And, yeah, I, even if they try to recreate all of that with the uh, with the alumni and stuff, you would never be able to pull it off. No, no. Yeah. And, and the legendary and, people that were there was, it was just great. And my argument here, my argument is the two, the, the two most exciting um, winner slash centennial classics that were, um, that happened were the two Detroit Toronto ones, the one at the big house in 2015. And then the one that we were at uh, in, at BMO, they were both. Uh, one went to a shootout. I think the other one went to overtime. They were they were really good games. That's what games. The one at at, at, um, at Wrigley, I think, was the best game. That was Detroit and Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Okay. And the speed of that outdoor game was just incredible. But I will say that Big House had the best ice. Like I got to skate on all most of these things. I haven't skated on one in a couple of years. But the Big House had perfect ice. Like it was unbelievable how nice that was. Yeah. You're gonna skate right. what I meant life plus or no? I will if they, you know, if they have a, a skate in between the two, I'll definitely do it. All right. 
Let's get the show started. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Friday, October 27th, 2023. I'm Jan Levine. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. We'll be joined in a few minutes by Anthony Mangione, uh, and we'll just start the discussion with the news from yesterday, since we didn't do a show yesterday. Um, the Shane Pinto uh, suspension, which it, it's ironic that, you know, we've been talking about Shane Pinto and the contract, and when's the contract going to get done, and Pierre Dorian is really screwed up, um, and, you know, maybe – people still hold that opinion about Pierre Dorian screwing up because they maybe would have had him signed under, under contract, but apparently the senators were let known that this was going on around the beginning of September during right or right around uh, the beginning of training camp. And that may have been a contributing factor to the sort of stalemate between the two, but uh, Shane Pinto uh, was suspended by the NHL for 41 games for, uh, allegations of gambling. Um, the details are still coming out, but you know I have to give Russ credit. He sort of pinned down what we thought, what we ended up finding out a little bit from Pierre LeBron and a few other the insiders uh, was going on, where Pinto may have been betting through another account, not his own. Um, now we, again, the details are still, still coming out, but that's seems to be, and, and because of that, they said, you know, the, the statement they said, well, he wasn't betting on the NHL was, does that mean he, it was somebody else's account and they were, I mean, we don't know. And maybe we'll never know, but I mean, the suspension of 41 game, this is the thing, Jan, I'll start with you and then we'll go to Russ. The thing that I don't understand about the suspension is, okay, if he, didn't bet on hockey, the rules basically stipulate if you're not betting on hockey, then it's you're okay, you're fine. So why is he getting suspended for 41 games? The only thing I can think of is he's helping somebody else bet on hockey or he's betting through a third party. So right. let me take both. So if he had bet through a third party, they would have suspended him for life, in my opinion, it's a, or a year. It's the same thing as you betting as you betting through another party. There's no difference other than which account the money comes out of to place those bets. There's no difference, right? So that's probably part one. Part two, you look in the NBA, NFL and they have a whole thing, right? You can't bet on premises, right? There's the difference with the NFL, where if you're on if you're on the property of the NFL team, you can't bet. So you look at like the Williams suspension and several others. A lot of that was because of where those bets were placed. Uh, granted, Ottawa definitely knew because supposedly the word came out also that Shane Pinto has been very complimentary and thankful for Ottawa for keeping this under wraps and right. not letting anything get out, which is part of the reason why he eventually will he will get signed. The only question is, will it be a one-year deal or will it be a longer-term deal and how does this impact in terms of the money? But as others have pointed out, the irony of the fact that Ottawa's helmets logo uh, their ad is for a gambling. There's gambling all over the place. Bet 99. They suspended a guy for 41 games with, I understand why you want to keep it secretive, but at some point in time, information as to why the suspension has happened has to come out, especially if it's going to impact other players and other teams. Because right now it just looks like the league is, is hypocritical in terms oh, yeah. of suspending a guy for betting when they're willing to take gambling and you have Gretzky and McDavid doing commercials like crazy for BetMGM and others. Yeah, and I don't think it's, just to be honest, I don't think it's ever going to come out. Players know through the Players Association. They probably already contacted everybody and, and updated them on, and to reminded them, and they were a part of this. So the fact that you know that it was pretty bad if the Players Association signed off on this without a fight. And so that's something where that's how you know there's something bad. Now, Jan, well, you might be right. I still don't know if he was helping somebody or not, or if it was as simple as he was betting hockey, just not the NHL. Well, well, no, the, the indication is that the PA um, helped get the suspension down to 41 games, that there was, there was some negotiation here in terms of, you know, maybe it would have been a year, maybe it would have been two years. Who knows? You know, who knows? I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that's a nice thing to say. I don't know if it mattered that much. 41 yeah. games is a lot. Think about the suspensions yeah. we talk about on this show. Right. One but, game, two games, four games. Right. We don't talk about 40-game suspensions. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the, I, I, the last one, I mean, remember, Rafi Torres, I think, was 25 games right. or 20 games. I mean, the, the only, yeah, the only they, one, yeah, the drug suspensions were probably that long also back in there. Like, you know, Don Murdoch had a 40-game well, suspension just, back in the day. That was just what I was going to say, Jan. I remember the Don Murdoch 40 yep. games. Cocaine. Or who was the other one? He was doing cocaine. I mean, that's basically cocaine. what he was yeah, doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, that definitely. But the funny thing was, I was, I was talking with uh, another reporter yesterday, and it says, yeah, there, there is a bit of a hypocrisy here. There's, it's like, you know, a separation of church and state, so to speak. It's like, okay, the NHL is taking big millions from FanDuel and Bet mm-hmm. ninety nine and all these sites, and like you said, Jan, the advertisements on, I think it's Bet ninety nine on yep. the Ottawa Senators helmets, and there's a, you know. Ontario has has put in uh, regulations to stop uh, NHL players, current NHL players, from being on ads. But it doesn't go into effect until next February. And you watch the ads right now, and Mitch Marner is doing something with uh, Leon Dreisaitl with Chris Pronger as a referee. I mean, they're getting it under the under the line as as quick, you know, just you know because. They know it has stronger was a referee. Like that's a horrifying thought. <laughs> Where's Daniel Alfred? He's a good follow on Twitter, though. He's got great insights on he Twitter. Is. He does. No, he's a fun guy to talk to, but just imagine him as a referee. No. No, I can't do it. No, no. no I mean, again, look, look, like I said, the whole thing is hypocritical. I, I do think right. The PA most certainly knows the PA stepped in. I, eventually yeah. the information will come out. It'll be a cautionary tale depending on what it is, but all I'll have to say is, look, it, it better be something that's so draconian that it's worth 41 games because, honestly, right now, the hypocrisy is what probably stands out more than anything else based upon the fact, as Mike, as you said, they're more than willing to take the money from every single betting site. But yet, you know, if 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 Pinto was betting on NHL, then look, then the suspension is lower than what was supposed to be expected. And if he wasn't, then what did he do incorrectly based upon the way the current wording of what the what the rules are? The other weirdness, though, though is <clears throat> he wasn't signed, so we don't know if it happened like before July or after. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going back; it's backdated to the beginning of the season, even though he wasn't playing, right. which is odd. And he's going to have to sign his qualifying offer for all this to take place. Like he has to sign it now; like he has no option. He has to sign a qualifying offer, is what I was reading now. Well, um, he doesn't. But I mean, there's there's the thought that because he's so thankful to the okay, center, so he's not forced to sign a qualifying offer. No, I don't think no, so. No, I think I, that came out yesterday that he's not okay. sourcing. And also, I think I think the backdating probably was the negotiations with the PA to give credit for quote unquote time served, even though right. he's unsigned and wasn't playing. That if all of this hadn't been going on, they would have signed him to a contract already. But the delay was because in waiting. Until they, a they final decision on the length space. of suspension. That's What's a that? fantasy. They they'll still don't oh. have the cap space. Oh, they they do, they will wow. have the that, cap space. They will have the cap space now, based on the well, news. Yeah, they will. Based on the news the of today. Be, yep. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say. So you said a lot. I mean, injuries are wreaking havoc with their blue line today. I mean, I was just going to say Thomas Shabbat's out four to six weeks with a with a broken hand, suffered blocking a shot. The Eric Branstrom is probably out indefinitely, and that scene was was substantially scary, and we'll get into it because I have certain views in terms of the hit itself. I think Artem Zub is out as well, but if but if Shabbat is out six weeks, that's your minimum of 10 games out on LTIR so probably. In those... For the negotiations, none of that existed before no, the negotiations. No, no, it's a con- unfortunately a quote-unquote convenient happening now. Right. Not good for their blue line, but convenient in terms of their ability to yeah. fit him in. But again, they're going to have to be cap compliant down the road when sure. everybody comes back. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anthony- when they talk about the Branstrom thing, I watched it. Um, I thought it was only mildly egregious, to be honest. I didn't think it was awful, awful. I know some people thought they saw a slew foot. I don't know if I actually no. really saw a no. slew foot. It- I don't think I did. It, it no, wasn't the hit, Russ, to me. It's if you follow, it's the timing of the hit, right? It's one thing if it happens a beat or two after you let the puck go. That was more than a beat or two, and you know better oh, than I do. It was like, late. like psychologically, you're expecting the hit. When it doesn't happen immediately, you basically relax, and that's when the hit happened. The it wasn't the hit in itself; it was the timing associated with the hit. 
Right. But here, here's what I would say about this. So, okay. I agree with you that the hit took place late. So no matter what, it's a slightly egregious offense, but I think people were acting like it was a predatory hit and I didn't see that. Oh, not at all. I mean, like I said, my issue was the timing and I thought the injury might've occurred because he relaxed, not expecting the hit. And then he ended up getting knocked down based upon the contact that was given, not the hit itself, just the timing right. of when that hit occurred based upon game action. Anthony, right. can you, you can see us or can you hear us? No, he's having issues. Nope. All right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was an egregious hit. Um, I, I didn't think it was, you know, overly dirty. I mean, the result, I mean, with, with Brandstrom, um, you know, his leg, uh, shaking uh, after the hit, and clearly they they took every precaution. Um, and he was at a local hospital. And I guess he stayed there overnight. Um, now I haven't heard any kind of prognosis on him or any kind of uh, injury update on on him. But it you know obviously it was anything of anything involving the head and the neck is something that's you know they're going to be extra careful on. So, but, but as, as you were saying, Jan, I mean, right now, you know, Zub is out. He's been out for a couple weeks. Um, you know, Shabbat who eats minutes for them, 26, 27 minutes a night. Usually uh, he's out four to six weeks with a fractured right hand. That means more responsibility on Travis Hamanick and Jake Sanderson and, 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 and Ch- Jacob Chikrin, and, and we know Chikrin, you know, he's had a history of injury issues yep. too. Where you're exposing him to that by playing him extra minutes, but you really have no choice. That means like guys like Bernard Docker, Russ are going to, are going to have to play big minutes. Yeah, they had just sent him down, right? Well, I guess it's going to come back up. Um, yeah. I mean, Bernard Docker might, this may be a big break for him, but this is, this is something that could certainly uh, put a big monkey wrench in, in Ottawa's season. I mean, the Pinto thing was going to anyhow. Even if he didn't get the suspension, he hadn't played in so long. He wasn't going to play for another five, six, seven games anyhow after he got signed. But right now, it's just, you know, it's just, you. it feels like Ottawa is not complete. Like as far as the coach, as far as the players. And I, kind of, I could foresee DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian kind of getting the axe at the same time, sometime very soon, you know. We're hearing rumors of who might come in or may not. It's unfounded, so I'm not going to throw the name out there. But I do think it's it's possible. And you know, just as eventually when we talk about Edmonton, I I've spotted someone now who's out there on the market that oh. I think could, could be the uh, the next coach of Edmonton. So when we get to that, <laughs> Anthony's having he got excited, but it didn't work again. Said, I mean, no, maybe I... we should move on. So the one piece of puzzle no, no, I no, took no, off no, yesterday's no. Edmonton. Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. No, 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 what I was going to say is, um, yeah, the replacement for Dorian is already there. Steve Steos will probably be the general manager when they when they fire Dorian. Right. Um, I don't know about DJ Smith. I, you know, I think I think this is the final year of his deal. So, you know, they may let it play out. I mean, the thing is, you know, the one thing about them having the new ownership, I mean, they obviously want them to make the playoffs. They spent a lot of money on that team. But I um, – I also think that, you know, with injuries sort of conspiring against them and their goaltending hasn't exactly been, you know, I mean, Anton Forsberg, it looked like his usual sieve-like self against Buffalo uh, earlier this week. So, and if Corpusello has not started off well there, I mean, if they're not getting the goaltending and their defense is, is uh, you know, um, ripped to shreds and and Pinto is not there. I mean, you know, at a certain, but not, not to say you're you're resigning yourself to missing the playoffs after six games, but you know, it begins to look like a reality that that's going to happen. Well, I mean, if they fall completely out of the race with Shabbat and those guys out, it's different story. I mean, they're three and four; they're not too far back right now. I mean, unlike Edmonton, that's now what one five and one, and with with McDavid still out, but 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 Ottawa's in a little bit different of a state than Edmonton, but. The one thing I want to take from Edmonton, I don't know if you guys watched the game last night, um, but I was obviously watching this as the Rangers. So there was no. there was there was two fifty three to go in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Three nothing Rangers. Mm-hmm. Wheeler I think took a penalty. They did not pull the goalie and have a six on four. It's like they literally almost tossed the towel with three. Not that they could have come back, but they literally almost tossed the towel in, 
and didn't pull the goalie to try to have a six on four. And the Oilers fan base was going absolutely bananas and booing them the entire power play. Not that they really generated anything at all, but just the fact that they didn't pull the goalie and make an attempt was not well received by the Edmonton faithful. Well, well, lo and behold, Anthony, I'm just stunned about the about the Edmonton Oilers. My goodness, my timing is impeccable. Apparently, yes, yes, for, no. for your uh, for your uh, opinions I, on the Oilers. Yeah, no, no. I mean, well, just backtrack for you for a second because we were, sure. you know, uh, we were talking about the Pinto situation and yeah. Ottawa's injuries. I mean, Jan made the point. They are they are three and four, which is the same record as the Sabers. Mm. But there seems to be a lot more panic going on in Ottawa, and now the news today of Shabbat being out for four to six. Yeah, weeks. that's a big one. That that's 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 once you get to that point, that's when you, the hype train is starting to. Uh, the gears are starting to grind the wrong way. Let's put it that way. Your goal, your your goaltending is questionable because Corpusella has not started off well. Forsberg is not a good goaltender, but oh, that's just my opinion. Now you've got three defensemen out, and your number three center who scored twenty goals last year is out for forty-one games. So things are not going so well in Ottawa. Not no, it's not going swimmingly, and certainly the high water mark at this point now, Russ, you would say is probably that. 5-2 opening night. It feels like that 5-2 opening night win against the Flyers for them That's right now. The high point. When, every, when everything seemed uh, everything seemed uh, amazing in Canada's capital. They, I mean, they looked amazing. Yeah. It was like world beaters in that game. And, uh, and yes, it's then. I mean, that's pretty much uh, the only regulation loss the Flyers have had, I think, right, so far to yeah. start the season. Uh, so. Regulation, yep, you're right. Regulation yeah. loss. Clearly, yeah, exactly. clearly what we would have all predicted, right, Anthony? Oh, absolutely! You know, world turned upside yeah. down. Whatever it is, whatever it is, they played on the Titanic before it went down. That's pretty much what they're playing right now. Bizarre world on the two coasts between Edmonton and Philly right now. Very but much. But so. I'll say this: I noticed that um, Tom McFarland, who used to play with, um, I think he was for um, Edmonton, but also was with. I think he was coaching for uh, the AHL team. Mm-hmm. He's on the market. He just left his job, and. He was an assistant somewhere in junior hockey. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he's out there now kind of makes me wonder if that is the next guy in waiting for the Oilers and they're getting ready to pull the trigger. On Woodcroft? To pull Woodcroft. <laughs> because Woodcroft has put – I will tell you why. Woodcroft has put out a lot of sound bites recently about revamping the defense, and this is what we're going to do, and the defense has fallen flat. And, and then if everybody goes and looks at a tweet from Neil Smith, former Rangers GM yesterday, it talks about how Edmonton is sort of like redoing their team and redoing on the fly. And it's very difficult. It's not working. We usually, and here's the pattern. Usually when we see this happen and they start to pull things back, because again, part of it is just because of personnel and who they have, yeah. but, it, but, yeah. but it's also just their execution on how they played under the normal system. It's just uh, been. Apparent, uh, apparently they're playing <clears throat> some sort of box and one type of defense, which is the same defensive structure that Vegas played. There's only one problem. You don't have Vegas's defense. You don't have anything close to Vegas's defense. So why would you do that? Because it wasn't for Skinner last night. The score would have been seven, nothing. I mean, Skinner actually played a pretty darn good game last night because the Rangers didn't have a lot of shots, but had a lot of high danger shots last night. And Skinner actually played pretty well. So their defense was pretty Pretty awful a, last night. And he was a fireman in a, burn, in a burning house. Yeah. Their forwards didn't do a lot to help them out either coming back in terms of defensively. I mean, Connor Brown's been an absolute bust there, which they thought they'd recreate the McDavid-Brown magic, and that hasn't happened right now. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the lineup has been very, very up and down, at least from what I saw last night watching the game. Yeah, and I'd like to get your, your thoughts. I, I would say at the beginning of the year and at least two other times, I was telling people to pipe down about Alexi Lafreniere and said, listen, let's see what, what Labiolette can do with him. Now he's got four, goal, four goals in seven games, and I'm not getting the text anymore. I'm not getting the always oh, a bust thing anymore. So, you know, what's your feeling? So three goals and three straight goals in three straight games. I mean, the goal last night, I thought the, the, the best thing about the goal last night was the release, right? He didn't wait. He got it, released it. First of all, it was yeah, I saw, I saw the pass back from that. It was an unbelievable pass by Panarin, first of all. But the yes. thing that, that was great is that Lafreniere wasn't thinking. He reacted and shot, which in the past, his biggest issue has been between his ears. That obviously yeah. he was listening to everybody and so concerned about everything. Now you look at the line was because Hedl's played great. Panarin's been phenomenal. Maybe cutting off his hair is what he needed. 
but um, the, the, what's gone on between them, right, in terms of the chemistry between that line. Um, Kako hasn't been great on the first line, but he's been good enough. And it's amazing that Zabinijad hasn't scored yet. And the Rangers right. have had no issues in terms of putting putting points on the board. And the fourth line's been very good. Look, Nick Benino has been a great addition, blocking shots, face-offs. I mean, we talked a little bit, Mike, when the year started, right, about him hiring Michael Pekka. And the goal was to, A, bring a little bit of gravitas to the lineup for the type of player he was, but B, more importantly, was for them to improve between the dots. And they've actually improved about eight, nine percentage points between the dots right now. So he's he's making a huge difference. And then, look, if you would have asked me oh, two weeks ago if Jonathan Quick was the answer, I would have told you you were nuts what I saw in the preseason. But he's looked darn good the last two outings. And Steve Valaket had an interesting note that Benoit Lair likes his goalies playing in the in the blue not out of the blue, so they like some in the crease, and it's something Quick hasn't done in the past, but it's helped him a lot in terms of his movement and his centering in terms of being able to be more centered in net and be able to get back to block shots. So that's been a big help. So, look, it's early on, but you can kind of see the tweaks that Laviolette has made, but in terms of Lafreniere, um, the confidence is growing day by day. I still think the skating is still an issue sometimes, but he's putting himself in the right positions. He's engaged. He's being physical. All the things that you didn't see last year and were concerned about, how are starting to show up day by day, even if he's not scoring, which he is right now. Yeah. Um, just taking a little bit of a tour around the league, and we'll start with Philadelphia because um, four, two, and one, Anthony, and uh, like I like we talked about on off the post. I mean, if their goal this year was to rebuild they're doing a bad job of it now not to not to depends you know, on how you're defining rebuild exactly right not <laughs> not to wash success but you know yes. briere it, it at least appeared that all the all the talking points everything was this this is a team that is you know i mean they didn't go out and add really anything in free agency they other than the garnet hathaway you know yeah. they they traded and and let play even that was a surprise Right, they traded Hathaway. Hathaway be listen when I, when when they announced how Garnet Hathaway was signing, I was like, he's coming off two teams in the Capitals and the Bruins that are cup contenders. He's in his thirties, right, right. thirty one, thirty two years old. You figure you're you're trying to pursue a cup in this circumstance. The fact he signed with Philly was definitely an eyebrow raiser. But um, if it, but if their goal if there was if their goal was to be in the Max Celebrini or Iserman sweepstakes, they're doing a bad job of it. And and like I said, the, the what I what I look at here is you've got management on management's in Mars and coaching is in Venus, and they're not on they're not on the same. I don't know. I don't know about that at this point now, Mike. I just don't um, because again, they're also it's what what they could do this off season. I mean, we've had this discussion about they were trying to strip this thing even further with that mega trade during the summer that fell through. So the intention obviously was there, uh, but you kind of had the team that you have and you're in a very highly competitive market at the end of the day in Philadelphia. So, but at the same time, you kind of, and again, I, I keep coming back to it is it's good. In, in some ways it's good. Part of the rebuild is also kind of to get, you know, it's been several years where it's been pretty bad for the flyers with the intention, even, even though they were attending to be good, things obviously worked a certain way. So if you're trying to kind of rebuild whatever the the internals are, the internal organs of the team, so to speak, you know, when it, it, it if you're going to have a lot of young players, if they're winning, I think that is also considered, it can be considered part of a rebuild too. Because you, I think some of the younger, oh, let me finish. Go ahead. I know. <laughs> um, younger players getting confidence in this circumstance i think helps in a lot of ways as well i mean that, that's something i think that's a big that, that becomes a especially if the younger players who you've had in your system are able to contribute and do things for you that's considered to be a part of it as well but at the same time again if you're trying to be at the upper 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 end of the of the draft pool in this circumstance yeah i, I can completely understand that so bias. something that john bruchagras said last night you know how they meet mm -hmm. with the coach um that Tortorella says he loves the fourth line, even though they don't have any points, and he's trying to get them in there more. That's a little disturbing considering, you know, they should only be an eight-minute pair, you know, an eight-minute line. And what is what is the thought process of getting in, them in for, I don't know, 12 minutes a game? How is that going to help? I think he sees that line as being sort of a tone, a, a tone setter for something, for 
however it is he wants them to play and get the rest of the team kind of engaged, at least initially, at least when he has them out first. And that's, but again, this is the whole, a, it is the hallmark of a Tortorella team. That being said, this goes back also to why we were all our eyebrows raised when they signed Hathaway, when you already have Nick Deloria. But if you notice while he says that, and while you say that, and it's true, I think what mm -hmm. you're saying is true. He didn't have that line out first against Vegas. And he didn't have him out first against another one of the other West. West no, he doesn't. He, 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 he knew that there was a limit. He knows there's a limitation to it. No, he does know there's a limitation. When he says he likes to get them out there, it's. I think it's as much of a message of to encourage. Yeah. That if so, if a four, yeah. if a Ford line's able to get in and, and get a little bit more, it the, sends a message to the other lines to keep doing what you're doing. Does that mean to me, to me two of the keys that I've seen? Well, first of all, Anthony, mm -hmm. one is the return of Couturier's made an absolute that's massive. difference for that team. Right? Massive. I mean, it, it's yeah, massive. That's massive. Yes. And B, obviously, the trade of Provorov has has actually resulted in Sanheim taking a major step forward yes. and kind of being a number one defenseman, right? Yeah, Granted, we'll, we'll have to get into them. I'll let you guys discuss Morgan Frost and what's going on with him being uh -huh. benched. But but those two moves in terms of in terms of the uplift of the team has probably played besides the play of heart the biggest roles in the team right now being what four two and one i think yeah right and it's a weird thing because the, the dynamic of that whole thing is, is that to me and we had this discussion with bill Meltzer uh on on, on on off the post is you know you already have if you got the fourth having a scott lawton being on the fourth you know playing him on the fourth line on the left side instead of nick deloria it's not an insult to scott lawton it actually speaks well to your team if you could play a Scott Lowe on a fourth line and then still find a way to have Morgan Frost in your lineup right. and his creativity in your lineup and have more skill because you're not really stepping away from, from physicality. Now, again, I think Delore, obviously Deloria has more of the, the, the cop reputation and even Hathaway does in this circumstance, but you know, this is the classic, you know, if it's, if it's rolling and the th and you're seeing good things, yeah. they don't let the coaches don't like to change the lineup, but, no, but I do but, believe that there is, I, I don't believe that necessarily Morgan Frost is that tort John Torrell is looking to get him in per se, even if he but, says that he does, but at actions a, speak louder than words in this. But case. at a certain point, I told this to, to Russ earlier and I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this goes on for a couple more weeks that Darren Ferris contacts Danny Breer and says, oh, my absolutely. Buddy, it'll be sooner than that. Great. Yeah. It's honestly, if we, if we, if we get to, honestly, if we get to it, I'm honestly, if there's a three more games of this, if, right. yep. if Morgan doesn't get the lineup within three games, you're talking eight, nine games with no good reason for a skilled player to be out of your lineup. Right. Darren right. Ferris is going to be on the phone sooner if he hasn't already been on the phone. Well, the thing is, you know, once this started happening, now you're starting to see Elliot Friedman writing about it because teams yeah. like Vultures are looking because they're right. like, wait, you don't want Morgan Frost. Okay. But the thing is, now Danny Breer can't trade him as a, as a, position of strength because the coach won't play them right and, and that doesn't help the situation either and you pretty much can shoot down these you know, these sort of ridiculous philadelphia ottawa rumors that involve yeah, Pinto oh, exactly and that's everybody's been thinking that was the, the direction of her going and I've, i have never you know in that yeah. circumstance really or the three-way trade posted on the site yesterday regarding Pinto. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about that. Well, sorry, sorry, Mike. Oh. I, I, it's the red herring. You kind of had to, you had to touch it. It's the elephant. You talk about the elephant, elephant, elephant in the room. room. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the San Jose Sharks. Uh, six, oh, six with the Sharks. Now. Let's go. <laughs> oh, six and one, and they've scored eight goals in seven games. Russ. Now we thought they were going to be bad. Yeah. I don't know, I think we thought they were going to be this bad. You know, they traded Carlson, and clearly that was a move that was brought about to, I think, you know, start the rebuild. And they've, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they still have pricey contracts that I think Mike Greer would like to get rid of, like Vlasic, maybe Couture uh, that has term left. You know, the guys like Hurdle that signed there long term have to be saying, Jesus, what did I sign up for? I mean, this is, yeah, you know. Hurdle, all right, how do I say this in the nicest possible way? He always seemed like he was in it for the money, and he has to be on a line that somebody helps him drive it. He can't be a line driver. And so, you know, once they lost Timo Meyer, that that was a lot. Um, you are relying on the young guys. Uh, Quinn, look, I think Quinn's doing a good job because he, he bent Vlasic, and he basically embarrassed him by basically saying, listen, you got to do better, even though we all know he's got a lot of mileage on him. And even Vlasic's like, yeah, okay, I got to do better here. Like, 
he's not this is an impossible situation now it's good for them because they're going to be a top three lottery team there's mm-hmm. no question but yeah. but it is an impossible situation for them to get a lot of offense with this team even though they have some good young players because even they're going to take a while to to mesh yeah, but the problem is, is you look at a guy like Anthony Duclair was supposed to be a guy that was going to get traded. Right now, his trade value is probably minimal, minimal, nil to minimal yeah. based upon the way that he's played so far, right? And you look, again, be doing better. You would expect. I mean, he was brought in to score or potentially score. Granted, eight goals as a team clearly is not scoring overall. Mm-hmm. But that that team, I mean, look, it's it just looks ugly. The goaltending is ugly. The offense is ugly. The defense is ugly. There's very little positive you can really talk about that team right now except maybe you want to talk about Fabian Zetterland, who was probably a throw-in in that San Jose trade. But other than that, there's very little that's going on with that team that's positive. And look, the, I know uh, a lot of Rangers fans trade, didn't right. like Quinn. Quinn did a good job, in my opinion, of, of laying the the framework and the structure for guys like Kako and guys in terms of what they needed to do to get better. It may, it's kind of playing paying dividends now. But he's the one who kind of made them start to play defense and focus on defense, which has gotten lost a little bit in the mix. Yeah, yeah. I think, think Sutherland, by the way, is a pretty good player. And I think, you know, the Devils just have such an embarrassment of riches that they don't miss him. But, you know, Zidane has got two of those goals. And so it's kind of interesting that while he had been cast off, but yeah, if they just, there's not but, a but, lot. But, but if, that, if, that, if that's your bright, if, if, if that's your bright spot, I know. <laughs> you're on Tatooine. There's just not a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, they're on track. They're on track for a top three player, and yes. that's a, and the top ten in this draft is going to be very, very good. I I've been working on my draft stuff, and and so I think if you get in the top ten, you're going to be all right. Now, two of the three undefeated teams lost last night. Um, surprisingly, uh, the Anaheim Ducks beat the Boston Bruins. Uh, on a Mason McTavish overtime goal. And, I mean, I have to say that the Bruins being 6-0 and is one of the biggest surprises in the league because, not to say, you know, maybe maybe we should have learned from our mistake from last year, but last year there was a guy named Bergeron and there was a guy named Krejci as the first and second line center. And now it's Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle. But it doesn't seem to friggin' matter. It doesn't well, they seem to they, they got a kid who, whose name Matthew everybody Poitras. is – it, it, I, I've heard all kinds of pronunciations. Yeah, that's it. It's Quattro. And, yeah, he's not going to keep up that pace. But, look, I mean, Boston still has a great power play, and they have goaltending. And we said – and I, I still had to pick him for the playoffs because I looked at the division. But the thing is, with Anaheim, I'm still dubious on what they're doing with Leo Carlson. I want to see if he truly gets over the 40-game mark or not because – there's word out there that he's going to be, you know, like playing a significant amount of games, but I, I want to see it. I don't think we're going to see him Saturday, Ant. I think he'll be uh, resting. Or I, wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too surprised if he was, yeah, because I know there's yeah. a certain kind of, I don't say duplicitous plan to try to avoid that first year yeah. of the contract. But They're making it sound like load management, and it really is a load. load. It really yeah. is a load. I mean, teams, teams, are, teams are watching this and going, yeah, that's a, that's a load, all right. <laughs> a big load, folks. Yeah. And, and the league officers will be calling Patty Verbeek very soon to to have a little discussion with him. I'm assuming if this continues. So, But again, not even, not even the – Not necessarily. They did it with Zegers. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, no, no Zegers played over 40 games. 22 games. No, and how but, many? But when did he get called up? I'm not sure, but they had him in the AHL. He went and played the World Juniors. They made sure he didn't play more than 40 games. He played 20 something games. This is the Shane Wright playbook. This is, I mean, yeah. it, it's going on. It's going on with Buffalo right now with Matthew Savoy. Matthew Savoy had a shoulder injury, not serious, but significant at the at the end of the prospect tournament. That was September the 18th. It took him. He didn't play anything at all during the preseason at all. And then um, he didn't play at all in the first couple weeks of the regular season. And only earlier this week did they send him down to Rochester for a two-week conditioning stint. They are st- they are stretching this out until December the 10th when he gets to uh, go to the Team Canada World Junior Camp. They don't want to send him back to the WHL, and the WHL wouldn't give him ex- give him exceptional status. So this is the playbook that these, te- these teams, that they don't think there's anything to g- be gained by going back to junior or going that – this is the playbook that they operate by. 
Well, given how Carlson looked yesterday, it's kind of hard to argue that he should go back down, right? I mean, he was a key driver for that 3-1 mm-hmm. comeback late in the game and part of the big reason why they won. And you can see the chemistry between him and McTavish. And Zegers sure, hasn't even come. Thing. He hasn't come close, Zegers, to getting hot because I think missing the training camp except for the last week has had a major impact on his early season play. And, and, Cronin, and Cronin benched him too. In the, yep. third, the thing is, though, they know, they know what Carlson is. He's already played in men's hockey. They know what he can do. Now they just want to keep him as long as they can, and that's the Anaheim way. Like this is they they've done this before. Now Mintukov's going to be a similar situation. We're going to see how long they're going to have to use him for, and maybe maybe they'll change their ways. But until they do it, with Dry with Drysdale out, he probably has a better shot at sticking now, right? Because Drysdale's out with an injury. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. see. Now, uh, okay, just some. Teams that are have started off surprisingly either bad or good. I mean, again, Boston six and six zero and one was a little bit of a surprise. Carolina at four and four is a little bit of a surprise because everybody. I mean, that was the chic pick to come out of the Eastern Conference. And well, them I, are the Devils. Yeah, them are the, the Devils. devils. And, I, and, I two of them, yeah. and I continue to say that until you know their goaltending is a little more proven, or maybe they finally go to Kochetkov that, you know, because, I mean, Ronta and Anderson, you know, uh, give me a dollar for every time they get injured. Any Freddie Anderson conversation you can't discuss because we know you're viewing it, so you need to let the other people bring it on because we know we Michael know has to re- no, Anderson. Michael <laughs> has to recuse himself from yes, testifying. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say with Carolina, too, well, first of all, Pesci being out now with an injury is a yeah, pretty big impact on them on their blue line. But B, obviously, no stretch the cough the first eight games, and he's coming back. Mean? Right, but but on the flip side, on the flip side, Coach Kanyemi is actually gotten off to a great if, start. If Mike has to recuse himself from Anderson commentary, that old Russell in the corner there comes to D'Angelo. Yeah, to right, and, 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 and Patrick King. Pat, put him in the corner if it's Patrick no, King. No, no. <laughs> we need more panel members then. <laughs> Nobody be talking. Nobody would be. No, so, but here's the weird thing. You know what the weird thing is? They're leading everybody in goals. Carolina's actually scoring goals. They got weapons. They can certainly no, it's, it's being able to stop it going stop. the other way. That's always been sort of the conversation we have on Carolina. Yeah, yeah but, they're, but they're 32nd. They're thir- they've given up 35 goals in, in eight games. They're averaging over four goals per game again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they called up. Wild's fun. <laughs> well, no, the funny the funny thing is, is like two of the two of the best defensive teams from last year, Carolina and Minnesota. I mean, we expect Edmonton to be down there because they suck defensively. Minnesota's a big surprise. Well, for me. Minnesota's bad, also missing, they're missing Spurgeon, which is a big impact. Gary Spurgeon being I'm, out is a huge I'm, impact on that blue yeah, line. Golagoski, both of them. That those are two yep. big guys for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I mean. I am uh, now the the Penguins at their their record right now, which I'm just trying to pull up here. Oh, at three four zero. Oh, I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought that they were going to start slow with all the changes that yeah, happened. They had a good outing yesterday against against uh, Colorado, beating them four nothing and giving Colorado their first loss of the year. I mean, I I think there's enough there for them to be in the wild card race, and but. I, you know the the thing I'm worried about is again their goaltending because Jari is like this, and the age on that team. And you know we were talking about this earlier in the week. Latang his role on that team now that Carlson's there, yeah. it's a, it's been a, thrown for a loop, so to speak. It's thrown for a loop. I think as much they they you know I I also believe that they're trying maybe to kind of lighten the load a bit on Latang in some ways, having Carlson there. Cause that when they get, when they get to the postseason, maybe in this case, the tread won't be quite as worn on the tires by the time they get there and they can have them both uh, ready to go. But again, I'm in the same boat as you, the penguins are, there's a lot of good elements to that team, but there's, there's definitely that aging component. They keep, you know, obviously pushing the window, pushing the window and they'll, and they're going to continue to do it. Uh, but at the same time, you do worry about their longevity. You do worry about their goaltending as you know as you go forward. Uh, if Jerry is going to be that roller coaster, then you know you better make sure that roller coaster is hitting its peak 
yeah. by the time you get to the postseason. And that's 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 a challenge that uh, that Sullivan and everybody has there. And look, I mean, and right now the Devils, talk- the Devils are good. Russell, Jack, Jack Hughes is a one man team at the moment. Like literally, I yep. mean, they're scoring some goals without him, but not a lot. But I would also say with the, with, with the Devils still, I feel that. It's the classic again, early going, and sometimes certain players are incandescent at the beginning of the season, incandescent the season, start the season, and then the others start to kick in. It's just, you know, it's also this team hadn't been in a postseason run in how long, New Jersey, and they get, you know, they win a playoff round, they get to the second round, and there's a little, little bit of headiness that goes on with that, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're in, you're into November, and then. Okay, now we get now we're back in it. Now we really yeah, I mean, start kicking things in the gear. Points. Seventeen. The one thing we learned yeah. last year, right, is don't don't overvalue the regular season, right? You saw what Florida did, right? If there's a team, mm-hmm. and Russ used the term load management, right? Pittsburgh is a prime candidate for load management, right? Mm-hmm. One, or, they may rest some veterans periodically to try to keep them fresher for a longer playoff run, especially if they end up being locked into a spot late in the season. Because why bother to push if you don't have to? If the key is just to get in. And figuring if Carlson and Latang and Malkin and Crosby are firing on all cylinders, you want that happening in the playoffs as opposed to worrying about it happening during the regular season. Exactly. Well, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the the Oilers have struggled over the last few games because McDavid's out, obviously. And you know, when you have the best player in the league, then you know that that tends to happen. I think the second most valuable player in terms of importance to their team is Ilya Sorokin because. Honestly, I I saw some of the highlights of the game of, uh, yesterday against against the Senators, and Sorokin made about four unbelievable saves. And I'm convinced that if they had to go to Varlamov or you know whoever else the third stringer is, that team would lose on almost every night. Uh, I mean, Jan, the, the, you know, right now, you know, they're it's early. They're but the, they are who we thought they were. They're a team that is completely dependent on Sorokin, completely dependent on their defense, and will win almost every one of their games three to two because they can't score four goals. Well, you talked about, right, about teams not bringing in a lot of players in the offseason. The Devils are a prime candidate, right? They re-signed the guys that they did, and we know that the seven-year, $20 million contract was a favorite of Lou Lamorello's this offseason, right? Pierre Engvall and a couple of others got it, right? Oliver Wallstrom has been, to a certain extent, stapled to the bench for a good part of the season before he got in. They moved up Anders Lee back to the top line to go along with Horvat and Barzal to try to give them the semblance of a top line, but that, but that is a team that is going to live and die by Ilya Sorokin. It's going to live and die by their blue line stepping up because, honestly... You know, unless you think Simon Holstrom is going to make a huge difference, there's not a lot in the pipeline right now with them dealing on Tiratu last year in Vancouver to go get Horvat. There's there's no offense that really is going to be coming up to try to yeah, make I a difference. That. Maybe Kyle, maybe Palmieri makes a difference a little bit, but an Engvall they're hoping will be their second line winger. But that's not a lot of team with offensive talent that's spewing up and down that lineup and or in the AHL right now. Well, don't forget, Zach Parisi skating. At some point, they're going to fit him in, too. He scored 21 goals last year, Russ. Make fun of him. He still got 21 goals last year. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just telling you a fact. That young whippersnapper. What I do do feel bad about, and I like Zach Parisi, but, again, I don't think he's scoring 21 goals this year. Um, Lane Lambert could be a good coach. We're never going to know. This is Lou and Barry Trotz's team. It hasn't changed much, and, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, you spent eight and a half million dollars on Bo Horvat, and I, like I said, I like Bo Horvat as a player, but he's not a difference maker. He's not a number one center. But on that team, he is a number one center. He is a number one center, yeah. but he's a bad yeah. number one center. He's a good number they two. Move Barzal, they move Barzal to wing, right, to make room for him. Barzal was yeah. your number one center technically. Yeah. You're just playing different spots on the top line right now. So it begs the question: They make a move for a scoring winger at some point during the season. They move Barzell back to center, and they have Horvat at line two, and all of a sudden they may look a little – maybe certain things connect better that way. With what money? Yeah, Yeah. with what cap space? I mean, they're going to have to move out. I mean, they're going to have to move something out, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, good luck. Good luck trying to get somebody to take JG Pajot at $5 million. I figure since they moved out Devin Taves for two seconds at one point, (laughs) they could probably move out Ryan Pollock for two seconds and – you know, it, it, listen, that may be exactly the direction that they would have to I go know, in order to add a scoring winner. that they would do that again. But you yeah, might know right now. Right no adoption. There you go. Uh, two, two teams here. Um, one that 
boy, everybody was popping the champagne corks about the Detroit Red Wings at 5-0-1. And gee, I was not. They, I know you weren't. I'm just saying that's why. And and gee, they lost two games in a row. Now everybody is off the off the uh, the, the train. They're off the, they're off the wagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah off my, the wagon. One of my concerns was Billy Huso. And early in the season, we, I was talking to Kevin Allen about it, and I said, I think he's okay. I don't know if he's any more than an okay goalie. And the problem is, is that it seems like he's given up three, four goals every game, and they can't keep up that offense. No, you know, Debrink it's not going to score like Wayne Gretzky. All I mean, Debrink it'll but listen, Debrink it'll be hovering in the thirty to thirty-five sure. goal range this season. The key is yeah. what's coming behind him, right? That's the that, and that's what Detroit has to look for there, right? Now the the team that like I I'm buying in on on Dallas. I Dallas is my yeah, Dallas is my team to come out of the West. You know, and everybody else is picking Edmonton. I'm a big J.R. Ewing guy. I was personal. Per, I, was, I was partial to Pam Ewing, if you ask me. Thank you, thank you for serenading us, Russ. But um, but Dallas last night ran into a brick wall named Joseph Wall last night uh, with, the, with the Leafs beating them. And that, the nick, are they already using that as his nickname? Yes, they're calling oh, him Brick. His nickname is Brick. I, we just that was just. I mean, it's uh, that's low hanging fruit. I, I, hey, I, I basically low said, hanging. It was already on the ground. <laughs> I, 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 I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to come out with a with a red and gray brick wall mask. But he's he's got you know he's got some ornate uh, leaf thing that that he's. Wearing. I'm waiting. I mean, there was already wall for Vezina talk. I'm waiting for that to start. Oh, come with the, that. That's that's come on, please shut up. But no, I, I'll just say this. It's like. You know, Dallas did play Wedgwood instead of Ottinger. I was looking for the rematch of the 2018 uh, Team USA goaltending tandem and their buddies and everything. Like that. But I look at Dallas and they're they're just a deep team. Um, you know, Heiskanen is getting better every year. I mean, Suter can still play, and you know, Lindell and they. they I, I just I like I, I like the constitution of that team. And I think it speaks a little bit to Toronto that they they beat them because I mean Toronto right now after starting out two and zero then they lose two in a row to two bad teams and then have won three games in a row so they're sort of bouncing back from a little bit of an up and down start. And it's good. we're going to do a bit of a deep dive on the Dallas Stars this weekend on Off the Post with Taylor Baird from uh, Defending McD. So uh, guys can keep an ear out for that uh, at nine thirty on Sunday. Yeah. Then. Nice. Usually Russ is the one to do the call. Well done. Uh, Okay, so before we end the show, and this is not meant to rub anything in here, Anthony, it's just because the World Series is starting tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. The category, if looks could Is there a World Series? I'm sorry. I had to go check my – let me see. World Series. (laughs) (laughs) What's – Excuse me, I gotta pardon me for a second. I'm gonna go off no corner. Ah! Sorry, there we go. <laughs> I like to get everybody's predictions on on the series Arizona. Sure. And will you even? I'd be happy to do that for you, Michael, but only but only for this for you. <laughs> okay, well, Anthony, since you watched Game Seven uh, at Arizona and the and the Phillies, uh, yeah. your, your prediction on the series. So. There's some things about the Rangers that kind of rhyme a little bit of the Phillies. Uh, they are definitely a power-laden lineup. Um, they, I guess the key thing that we need to see here is whether or not they fall into the trap that the Phillies did, which is, you know, the, the Diamondbacks have – I thought they did a great job, obviously, in games six and seven. Honestly, they did a great job in games three and four, too. Um, that's where they really set the tone. And that's really where they set the tone um, in that. But, again, when they got back to Philadelphia, I think, again – they they handled it. I mean, they went in, nothing to lose, you know, and 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 came in and played well. And the pitching, again, that's the key that I look at right there. They got guys with really, really excellent craft, all-speed pitches. Merrill Kelly looked like himself, obviously, in game six after a, a shaky start. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think the Ranger, again, and this is the, the key thing now is, again, the Rangers have home, obviously, home field for the World Series. They have to guard, they have to, you know, guard against what happened, obviously, in, when they were at home against Houston, <laughs> and they got to le- legitimately turn this thing back into a, home, a legit home field advantage for them, because if they go out to Arizona, it's going to be a tough element for them. 
I'm going to say the Rangers in seven. I think uh, I think the the Diamondbacks are going to give them every bit that they can handle. But I do think the Rangers have enough depth, enough pitching, uh, especially I think at the back end, as long as LeClaire doesn't have the the meltdown that he had in Game Five against Houston. Uh, I think you know I. I I'm I'm leaning to I'm certainly leaning Texas. I'm saying it's seven, but I don't say that with great confidence. I guess you could say. I think this is very much a, a series that's on a knife's edge. His mistake, right. his mistake was not putting one in Altuve's ear, but okay. yeah, well, you know, uh, you're like you're, you're always you're, you're always you're advocating violence. Well Michael. Too. It's another guy you can't talk about. But yeah. Mike, Mike Mike just likes advocating violence on everything. I mean, Pencils I, violence. I mean, I wouldn't want him anywhere near a nuclear in a nuclear uh, code. Especially if there's a team that he dislikes. We'd all be dead. Next we'd, to it, we'd be in big trouble. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you're picking Rangers. I'm going to say Rangers in seven, but I'm not going to say it with uh, with, this, with with confidence or zeal. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Go ahead, Jan. So a couple of things. So back end of the bullpen, I give the edge to Arizona. Uh, Ginkle and Seawald were great in the last series. They really were. Clark has been good. Chapman worries me a lot. I think uh, the back end, the back end of the Chapman's like Alvarado. Chapman's back in the the Arizona bullpen was great. And a big reason why they ended up winning that series. Um, Secondly, uh, the the matchup of Zach Gallen and Nathan Eovaldi, which would have been something we probably never said in the past is something to kind of look out for because Eovaldi has been money in the playoffs and Gallen could put a team on its ear. Especially given the kind of talent he's got. But he, he did. did right? So he struggled against the Phillies, though. He re- he yeah. did. The, the, so, so the interesting piece I'm waiting to see is, does Cattell Marte carry forward his hot start, and does Adolis Garcia carry forward his? It, it's kind of sparked. Somebody asked me. It's like, and Ross, remember Daniel Murphy, 2015, the kind of run that he had through the championship series, and then got shut down because there it was different because of a four game sweep. And he had a week in between games. If if Garcia isn't Garcia, I think the Rangers lineup is going to struggle just a little bit. But I do mm-hmm. think Arizona is going to probably run a lot. You're going to the America is going to learn to love Corbin Carroll because he's going to be on base a ton, and he's going to make wreak havoc on the bases. So I mean, look, I think it's going to be a great series. I think everybody's talking about, oh my God, it's Texas, Arizona. People who are baseball fans couldn't give a flying fig who plays if it's good baseball. Yes, Anthony, I know you'd rather have your team in it, and I've been there. Trust me, a lot yeah, of times lately. But but I do think it's going to be a fun this series is not to watch. Disrespect- no, I'm going to take Arizona in seven. I think they Ooh, I think you saw in the last round, you saw home field advantage meant nothing. Look, mm-hmm. I mean, the Rangers series, every game was won by a road team. Yep. So it doesn't really matter. Arizona went into Philly and won two games in a row in game six yep. and seven. So I'm going to take Arizona in seven in a really fun series to watch. And I yeah. say this too, and I say this too, Mike, for me, for Arizona, just to just to kind of say it, I, I have full respect for that team going yeah. into the series. I said this was going to be the toughest series the Phillies were going to have. And I think there was a lot of people who got into a false sense of security after the 10-0 game and thought they were going to fold, and they didn't. I like their makeup. I like and, and again, they're in the World Series, they got nothing. They're like the Phillies last year with nothing to lose. Yeah. Uh, but the difference is actually I think they have a really good chance of winning this winning the whole thing. That's if, the reason why I'm not confident confident if, in that Texas pick. If Garcia doesn't stay red hot, then it allows Arizona to pitch around Corey Seager, which, you know, he's been absolutely, uh, yep. you know, he's phenomenal in the, in the playoffs. But go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So a couple things. Yeah. I feel like Arizona's scrappy. I said it two weeks ago on Sirius, even though I picked the Phillies, I had respect for the Diamondbacks. The only thing is what the Diamondbacks have figured out that you got to see if Texas, with Bochi, you think they might figure it out, but sometimes uh, pitchers with muscle memory don't. They're going to make these pitchers waste their two throws over so they then are free to steal. Yeah. And you have to watch that because they're, they're stealing four or five bases a game. And it's not Rio Muto. It wasn't Rio Muto's fault. Like, these guys are getting massive jumps. Well, they, they get massive jumps. Big. This is where, again, all the, with, with the changes with the bags and everything yeah. this year, it's just if you run and you do it right. Yeah. So that's a big thing. That's a big edge for them. Uh, I do think Garcia is the best hitter in the playoffs right now. I mean, home run hitter. We yeah. know Marte's got more hits. Uh, right. They haven't gotten anything out of Simeon. So if they start getting something out of Simeon, right. what you said about Seager, too, is he is one of the great clutch hitters right now in baseball, especially in the postseason. I don't understand Bochy's love of LeClaire, though, in the sense that the, when, the way he was using him, because I dumped him on my fantasy team about midseason. Like, he's got ability. Don't get me wrong. But they're, like, trying to extend the bullpen with him because of Chapman's, um, you know, at times, just he's just wild. Reliability. Yeah, he's a liability. But 
in the end, I think it's Texas and seven because they have home field. And I do think Arizona is now like really hard to beat at home. And that's why I think it goes to seven. Yeah, I mean, Arizona is just like the, the this complete no-name team other than, you know, the, than the people who actually know baseball. You know, Marte's always been a good player. and well, I, know, I know Blue Jays fans know who Moreno is because they're oh, all – And Lord Escorial Jr. They're not exactly yeah. happy in Toronto. About One thing that worried me going into that series was like, oh, crap, there's a Guriel in this series. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, how is Darwin Ball show hitting right? Oh, that's right. He's not in the playoffs. No, um, so – but, uh, like – I you know I, I I do put something in name value. I I think Texas is a much better offensive team, but that doesn't mean that Arizona's pitching stamp can't mm-hmm. can shut them down. I mean Arizona's lineup is is deeper with you know with Jung with with Heim. You know we already said Simeon Barber. and Seager. Uh, Tavares is a is a is a, a really good defensive center fielder. Uh, you know they're the, now. But, I think it, feel, but it, it, it sounds a lot like what we said about the Phillies. Yes. Yeah. This yes. is all it feels like a rerun of this. So we're we're taping it 45 minutes. Taping uh, right. Well, this is, hey, this is, this is a, this is the pre-show for our uh, baseball show. Where's Nico? Um, I, I'm, I'm going Texas in six. I, I, you know, I think it'll be a close series. I think Arizona, like Russ said, is scrappy, but I think, I think in this instance, Texas, you know, they've been close a few times, and this is, you know, with Bochi, who is, you know, a Hall of Fame manager, I think he gets them over the line. But, you know, there's if, – if you're picking at six or seven games, it's a series that's clo- too close to really, you know I – mean, nobody's picking it in four or five. No, no. So no. I'll, ask you the, I'll ask you the better question. Do you, pick, do you pitch Max Scherzer in this series? Yes. Game four. Game four. Yeah. Given yeah. how bad he's looked? Doesn't He's matter. Those four innings, I'm happy. The Phillies pit. Listen, the Phillies pitched uh, Noah Syndergaard in Game yeah. Five of the playoffs last year. Right. So I mean, I, you know, and Syndergaard was definitely not. He had a good. He had a good. Actually, had a pretty good game in Game Five last year. Max Scherzer to pitch four innings to give the bullpen a break, just right. like I felt like the Phillies. You might get a, you may have a. You may get both teams do a bullpen game. Bullpen right. game. Right. Yeah, it's gonna so, happen. This is the nature what, of baseball the, now. So the you one pitcher that worries me for Arizona. Game. Is is Saul Frank, who's been good against lefties, but he's been really wild. When he's wild, the Phillies he's, hit him pretty he's, good. He's really wild. He had moments, yeah, not something Texas could take advantage of. Yeah. But he's a young pitcher who came up like really right. early, and I, yeah. like I wouldn't be too surprised. Wouldn't like Kirkering. Kirkering was good early on. Um, and then he struggled late but, in the series. Hey, he listen, I retweeted Taiwan Walker because my whole thing was even if he wasn't what you thought he was. You could have used him to mop up in one of those games to save the bullpen, and that's what he should have been used for. Yeah, I mean, you're going to go Evaldi two starts, Montgomery yes. two starts. You're probably going to have to go Scherzer at least one. Yeah, so, Scherzer's going to get at least one. You made the acquisition to get him anyway, and you're right. going to probably play him. You're just going to put him in a well, – He's now got the cut on his finger, so we'll, we'll see if he pitches with the cut on his finger. You know Max Scherzer will glue that. Oh, I know. I, I almost used I the S word. He will glue that, and he will pitch. You know that. All right. Great show, guys. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast for Jan Levine, for Anthony Mangione, for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.